A strong theory I have, and it might be a false theory, and you can correct me afterwards if you like, but my theory is this. When you are five years old, your career aspirations probably didn't come true. When you were five, probably what you were thinking you would do for the rest of your life and your career and your job is probably, if you have been working, or maybe even if you're going to step into the workforce in the near future, probably didn't line up quite the same way. And the reason why I have this theory, and it's just a theory, is because in my own experience, when I was five, my career aspirations were slightly different. And I'm not standing before you today as a cowboy astronaut paleontologist, which would have been wonderful, I must say, but that's just not how it went. And the reason why is because, you know, when we're little, we think like little people. And if you've ever spent time with little kids, and maybe you've asked children, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or maybe uh, you were a little child once and said those kind of things to people. Chances are, what you said you wanted to be was based off of either something you saw, whether it's on TV, or something you heard, maybe somebody said something to you, or you read it in a book. And probably, probably, it didn't stay the same the whole time. Probably it shifted, it swayed, depending on whether you heard something different or maybe somebody said something different to you or you saw something different on TV or you just ate something funny and you decided, no, I don't want to be an astronaut today. And when you're five, it's kind of cute, right? It's cute when you have a little kid come to you and say something that in your head you think that's really not possible. You're probably not going to be, you know, the president of the United States because you live in Canada. It's just probably not going to happen. But it's cute when it's a five-year-old. When it's not so cute is when you get a little older. Maybe your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, plus. And you start to think and go, maybe I should do this, or maybe I should do that. And then you keep jumping and swaying from thing to thing, whether it's career or relationship or financial choices or whatever it might be. And you start to go, that's not as cute as a five-year-old wondering this. It's actually a little worrying. It's worrying that there's no stability, no foundation in somebody's life. And chances are you've known people like this. And if we're really honest, chances are it might have been us who can be like this sometimes, where we shift and sway depending on what we're feeling today or what we've heard from somebody else. And we don't really have a clarity on who we are or what we should do. And sometimes we make choices quickly and rationally, rashly, based on not being solid, not being sure of who we are. Where I get most worried about this kind of stuff is when I see people like yourselves or myself, people who go to church, whether it's online or in person, people who say they want to follow Jesus, people who are trying to figure out this life of faith, and as soon as a new idea or somebody challenges something they thought they knew, they quickly abandon what they thought or what they believed. I see it all the time where people just watch a YouTube video or see a Facebook post or, what, or flicking through TikTok, and there's someone who says something and you're like, oh, I can't trust what I believed before anymore. That worries me. And sometimes there's good reason. You know, sometimes you were wrong. We all have those moments. But more often than not, we just start to doubt because we don't actually know 
or we're not actually sure what it is that we believe. We're not actually sure what our foundation is and how we live a life based on it. This is a deep concern that I have. It's a concern I have for you, whether you are here in person, whether you're online, or maybe if you're watching it like months from now. It's a concern I have for you because when you live life without a lens or a foundation to kind of see things through, it's really chaotic and it's not really helpful. In fact, you'll be incredibly discouraged and you'll find that your life oftentimes just seems like it's falling apart all the time because you don't know what to believe or who to believe. I see this a lot in everybody I talk to. Now, maybe more than ever. In part because sometimes we don't want to be dogmatic about our, what we believe. Like We don't want to say, like, oh, I'm absolutely right. I can never be wrong. And that's not healthy either. But then there's the other side of it, the flip side of that coin that says, well, I don't really know. I don't know. It could be anything. And we have no real foundation to work with. Over the next five weeks, we're going to be in this series called Thinking Christian. And the idea of this series is to look at what our reality is in life and how do we have a foundation and a lens to look at everything we experience. If you spend any time with any people or on the internet or anywhere, really, you will have a whole bunch of different ideas coming at you all the time. How do you know which ideas you should listen to? How do you know which ones you should go, no, maybe that's not right? Because some are not all equal. And the reason why we need to worry about this is because when we have an idea, it can grow into a belief. What you think, what your ideas are, whether someone gives them to you, someone like myself in a church setting, someone on the internet, someone anywhere, turns into what you decide you believe. Is this true or not? For you or absolutely? We'll talk about that one week. And then once you have those beliefs, it starts to dictate how you act. If I believe, if I believe that, you know, in Canada, you shouldn't actually drive on the right side of the road, you should drive on the left side of the road, I'll start driving on the left side of the road. It sounds dumb, I know, but that's how a belief works. Once it's ingrained in you and you decide to commit to it, you live a life according to it. Even if everybody around you says, that's not a good idea. So what you think becomes what you believe, which turns into how you act and live your life. And so over the next five weeks, including this week, we're talking about what it means to think Christianly or think biblically about our lives and about our world. And how do we base that on something? How do we have a foundation to grow so that we aren't like a five-year-old who every good idea or every idea seems like a good idea and we shift and sway so quickly without any solid foundation? My goal in this is the same goal the Apostle Paul had when he wrote to the church in Colossae. In your Bibles, you have a a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae, which is called Colossians. And this church, this church was a very young church. You know, it would probably have been around just a couple of years. It wasn't started by Paul. It was started by somebody else. But Paul was in prison in Rome 
for preaching the gospel at this point in time. And he wrote a letter to this church to help them understand who they are, what they believe, and why they need to hold on to it. And this church in Colossae was in a city that had a great history, but a not-so-great present. Their history was that they were incredibly multicultural, they were vibrant, they were a great economic hub. They produced cloth there that could only be found there. But then as neighboring cities started to grow, their economy started to take a downturn. And within the time period of Paul's life, there were two major earthquakes in the city and the surrounding cities. And these earthquakes leveled the city, completely destroyed the buildings, and they had to rebuild. In fact, just a couple of years before likely the writing of this letter, they had their second earthquake. And so Paul is writing to this young church in this community that's faced great economic, physical, and natural devastation. And in this community, I'm going to guess that people were struggling with the reality that things were, were just a mess, that their buildings had crumbled a couple of years before, that their economy wasn't good, and that they were worried about the realities of life coming all around them. And as they were facing these worries, I'm going to guess that they were looking for hope. They were looking for something to believe in, something to help them through the hard experiences they had. And what would happen in that ancient world is you would have people come into cities, not just this particular city of Colossae, but all kinds of cities, and they would come in and just talk about ideas. They would come into like the main public square where people would gather, and they would talk about whatever philosophical ideas they might have about life. These people didn't always believe the ideas they shared, but their job, what they saw their job as, was to share as many ideas as possible with people. So people would gather into a common marketplace area, and listen to these philosophers or individuals just kind of share all their different ideas about life and about how to live life and all these kind of things. It was kind of like the internet before the internet. People just spewed ideas, ideas, ideas. And they didn't even really have to be founded on anything. They just shared them. And then they collected money afterwards. And what would happen in a community like this, where people are facing economic and and physical realities of hardship, is, well, they're looking for hope. And so they listen to these ideas, and they go, okay, that's got to be it. This is good. And they go back and forth in all kinds of different ideas. There was even this cult that just worshipped angels in the city, who thought, well, that's where I could find hope. And so it's in this city, with this reality, where people would kind of just spew ideas, good or bad, that Paul is writing to a young church, and he writes this in chapter 2, starting at verse 2. It says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So Paul, his goal in writing to this young church And to me, this is the same goal I have with this sermon series we're doing, is this. 
that you could be encouraged in heart. So that you can be encouraged in heart. Think about that. When you believe something firmly and people tell you how wrong you are, that can be disheartening. It could be something like you believe the senators will have a good hockey season this year. And then somebody who would be like me would say, actually, no, that's not going to happen. Right? And that's discouraging. You're disheartened. Paul writes and he says, I want you to be encouraged in heart. In your belief, I want you to be encouraged, not discouraged. And united in love. United in love. Some of us who are more familiar with Scripture, we would say, you know, in in John's writing, in his letters, he says, well, God is love. And we would say, yeah, God is love. So united in love, united in God, united. So that they're not people who go, well, this is what I believe, this is what I believe, this is what I believe. But people who have a solid center, a solid core, a solid foundation, say, this is who we are, and we are united in love. And to understand the fullness of who Christ is. And he says this about Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So think about the world that he's living in. And there's some significant similarities to our world. He's living in a world where people just share ideas like crazy. And people go, okay, I like that idea, I like that idea. And we kind of take whatever ideas we want and we go, that's what we believe. And he's saying, well, that's information. You know, sharing ideas, that's an information piece. But maybe that's not what we need. One of the things I've said to some of you, I've said to others, is my greatest concern about the young generation today is that they have a wealth of information, but they lack wisdom and knowledge. So they have a wealth of opportunity to know things. We have the internet, we can scroll something, we can Google something in a second. It's incredibly helpful. But we don't know what to do with all of this information. And Paul says it's kind of the same thing in their world. They have people coming into these market squares sharing all these kinds of ideas, and people are developing these ideas and going, this is what I believe, this is what I believe, this is what I believe. But they're not really based on any solid foundation. They're not being discerned. They're just absorbing idea after idea after idea and go, oh, that's got to be it. But Paul says in Christ... It's found all wisdom and knowledge. In Christ is the lens that we have for all the information that comes our way. And we can discern and sift through it, not just accepting every idea that comes our way, but go, okay, what is actually true? And that is a hard thing to do. But it's only really done in Christ. And Paul says that there are people who have Fine-sounding arguments. You know, maybe we know people like that who can argue anything, and you're just like, wow, that was really impressive. And he's saying, well, don't get disturbed. Don't get dissuaded. Don't, get, don't, don't follow just a nice-sounding person, someone who gives you a good argument. Find wisdom and knowledge in Christ. And he continues, he says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith that you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive 
through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head of every power and authority. In him you are all circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Paul says, don't be dissuaded by these clever thoughts and arguments that people are sharing with you or challenging you on. Remember this foundation. Jesus died and rose again for you. The penalty of your sin was paid by Christ on the cross. You are forgiven any debtedness you have to God. You're free. That's not a work that you do on your own. That's what Christ has done for you. And now that you are found in Christ, live like it. That's essentially what he said there. Remember that foundation. Paul's goal for that church and my desire for everybody I meet is to have that firm foundation so that they are not quickly disturbed or discouraged by the latest trend on TikTok or the YouTube videos they watch about someone saying, this is why you can't trust this or this is why you can't believe. That you yourselves, just like me, build your life on something more than what you read on the internet. Jesus tells this amazing story in Matthew's gospel. He uses a quick, quick little analogy here about what life is like with this. And what he does is he takes, he's in a section of scripture that we call the Sermon on the Mount, which is two or three really significant chapters of Jesus kind of exploring what the Old Testament teachings are and he, what we would say is fulfills them. He brings an interpretation to them to make them be understood and practiced in life. He doesn't take away anything from the Old Testament, which is really, really important for us to understand. But actually, if anything, he adds to it and says, this is what life with God is like. We are to be set apart like his people and to live a life that reflects that. And so in the section of Scripture called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is expanding on some very central religious teachings of his day, and says, in him you find the fullness of this teaching. And he gets to the end of this important section of Scripture, and he says this in chapter 7, starting at verse 24. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, 
because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus says, whoever hears his teaching and does what? Just hears it and walks away? No, he says, whoever hears it and puts it into practice. When you hear the idea, you develop the belief, and you start to live and act it out. He says, that is a wise person. And when you start to live a life based on what you've heard from Christ, the teachings of Scripture, and you put it into practice in your life, you are like a person who built their home on a strong foundation that it is ready to weather a storm. When you face a storm in your life, would you rather your house just be washed away or be stable and secure? As we've seen on the news, we've seen the devastation people in the East Coast and in Florida have faced with their homes because of the, the great storms that have hit them. And we have compassion and love and care for them, and we should be praying for those people as well as helping the best we can. But let's try and put that image out of our mind, but put it into a practical application of our life. What is your foundation? What is your life built on? Is it holding you up? Or is when it just so happens to be, whenever somebody challenges you, pushes you, ticks you off, makes you feel sad, your life comes crumbling down. Whenever you face financial hardship, medical hardship, relational hardship, do you just go and go, God, why are you so horrible to me? Or is your life built on a foundation that can withstand the suffering and the pain that life brings? Paul's goal for the church in Colossae was that they had that firm foundation. Every pastor's goal for their church is that their church has that foundation. And no matter what comes their way, they are able to withstand and, if anything, are strengthened in the storms of life. What is the foundation of your life? Is it rooted in Christ, which is also rooted in biblical wisdom? Or are you quicker to find out what's on Facebook or TikTok or Instagram as your life philosophy? What is the foundation of your life? What is the lens that you see everything through? My prayer for you is that you develop a firm foundation to build your life. Now, I know we're all at different stages, but we can always do some foundation work. And I pray that you make a decision to explore who Jesus is and who he says you are, and not just all the fine-sounding arguments around you, but you listen to him. And you do that by looking at Scripture. I want to challenge you that some of you, I know you might have practices where you read Scripture regularly, which is a very good thing to do to build that foundation. But if you don't have that practice or if you want to add to your practice, spend about five minutes each day this week reading the Sermon on the Mount. What does Jesus say? What does he not say? What is easy to hear? What is hard to hear? 
What do you wish he would say that he didn't say? What do you wish he didn't say? Trust me, there are moments. Jesus says that when you hear those words and you put them into practice, you are building a life of wisdom to withstand any storm. Take some time this week. Build that foundation of your life and be ready for whatever comes your way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you offer us an opportunity to find out who we really are in you. That in Christ, we can find our wholeness. And I pray that as we go about our daily life that sometimes brings great struggle and suffering, the situations that we encounter and the voices that we hear or, or we listen to, that most of all we focus on you. That Holy Spirit, you guide us and you know us and you help us to be centered on Christ and find our life in him. I pray that as we go from here today, that we take the time to build a strong foundation to discover who we really are in you, Christ, and to live based out of that belief. Jesus, you told us that those of us who hear your words and put them into action are wise people who build a strong foundation for your life. I pray that we do that today. Holy Spirit, help us to put the wisdom of Scripture into action in our daily lives so that they're not swayed and discouraged by anything that comes our way. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.